On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we're talking about the two new big releases of the weekend. That's right. We saw Cruella and A Quiet Place Part 2. Get your popcorn ready. Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater, popcorn, and other delicious movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williams and your very best good movie buddy. And joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how you doing today? I'm doing well. It's been a few days since I saw this movie, so my uh, my nerves <laughs> have, calmed. Have, uh, have calmed and relaxed. <laughs> It was a uh, stressful, stressful time for me, but it was, uh, it was, it was great. I'm doing it's, well. It's a very intense movie. We had a couple of really interesting movies come out uh, this week so far. First, David, you and I are going to talk about a quiet place too, and then later after the break, uh, I am going to talk with good friend of the podcast, good movie buddy Leah Theodosis about Cruella, two movies that we decided to see in the movie theaters. And before we get into the movie, David, I know we've had this conversation a couple of times, but I I always am going to just keep asking, how was your movie theater experience? You went at a little bit of a later time, but you saw you saw it in the big theater. On opening night, how was it? Was it full? Not so full? It was well, so I saw it at 10 p.m. at night past your bedtime. Yes. And I was sleeping. It was a school night, so you were sleeping for sure. And I might have went. You texted me at like 9.58, and we were like, oh, I'm seeing the 10 o'clock. I might have went. No, you wouldn't have. <laughs> that would have required you to put pants back on. Uh-uh. I saw it in the Cine One. So yes. saw it on the, the, the big screen, the big, big screen. And we were probably, you know, for a 10 o'clock showing on a Thursday night when they stocked full the thursday showing so like it's funny how movies used to get released on friday and they were very specific that the first showing didn't happen till midnight and we used to line up and camp out for it and there'd be a big line wrapping around the theaters waiting for the you know 10 screens they were going to show it on that night Mm -hmm. for the 12 o'clock showing now it's like i mean i think they started showing it like 3 p.m in the afternoon on thursday and it's just ridiculous. Like, why do we even call the release date Friday anymore? Let's just call it Thursday right? at this point. So, but regardless, uh, I think that probably impacted how busy our theater was because there had already been like five earlier showings. Uh, That's true. Time slots. And it was a Thursday. Uh, I think it was also week of graduation. So it might've uh, conflicted a little bit with that. But regardless, we were probably about, and again, they're not filling up the full theater just yet. So I think when we when we bought our tickets, it was probably about 50% full. So um, not a not a packed house. Uh, it wasn't a lively theater either. You know, I that was one of my favorite things about first night going on opening night is usually the crowd was into it, you know, especially in movies like this where it's kind of, sure, you know, that tense horror thriller type film usually you got people you know laughing or screaming or all of the above and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of that there was a there was a tiny bit 
I know Dallas and I, who came and, and saw it with me, we we were making our own comments as we went through the movie, <laughs> but there wasn't really not that. Too, but that, not distracting. No, not distracting. No, uh, I mean, the nearest people were 20 seats away from us. So it that's wasn't good. like we were disturbing anybody. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time. It was, like I said, great to be back in the theaters. Great to watch it on the really big one, on, on the Cine One um, with the, the upgraded sound and all that good stuff. So we really enjoyed our, our, our movie going experience once again. I agree. I uh, refused to be one-upped, and I also saw it at the Cine One. <laughs> um, I went by myself Friday afternoon, so it was a little bit busier. And, you know, it's interesting. There is, this is not a movie. This It does have jump scares, but this is a movie that is really in, in its creation and style is really all about making the audience stay quiet. You know, there is this subconscious thing where the movie is very quiet and then you want to be very quiet. You don't want to be the asshole crumbling through your popcorn or undoing a wrapper or whatever. And that makes for a very unique experience as well, because everybody is sitting in the tension of of the movie, which is a very intense movie. And that's how I would describe it is very tense and intense. I wouldn't necessarily describe it as scary, but that's only my personal opinion, because I don't find like alien monster movies scary. They can you can do scares like you can be, you know, frightened. Ah, oh, alien popped out. Ah. But I don't consider them the same type of quote unquote scary movie that say The Conjuring is or, you know, Paranormal Activity or what have you. Um, I just think it's a monster movie and I thought it was really effective. I will say without any spoilers, which we will get into in a little bit. My favorite part of both Quiet Place 1 and Quiet Place 2, there are a number of favorite things. I really enjoy these movies very much. But both of them end on the emotional peak of the film. So when I'm talking about the emotional peak, think about Jurassic Park, right? And think about how the T-Rex comes in at the end of Jurassic Park and kills the raptors and roars and everybody drives away safely, right? That is the emotional peak of the movie, at which point they go to the chopper, it's a little bit more peaceful. There's a little bit of a come down at the end and stuff like that. Both of these movies end at the emotional peak. And when this movie ended and cut to credits, not my entire crowd, but sections of my crowd, like audibly cheered, like they whooped. They were like, yeah, you know, like there was a audible reaction. And that was just like, like serotonin or whatever. You, like it was drug to my brain how exciting it was to be in the movie theater and experience that with people. And you just don't get that at home. You just don't Absolutely. do it. Yeah. And I, that was the one moment that I remember specifically a, a crowd reaction, you know, whereas I'm usually used to these types of films, you'll get it multiple times throughout the movie, but we did get that at the end. And I do think to your point, some of that is caused by the film itself in the sure. sense that there's literally stretches of the movie just like the first one where there is no sound like yeah. literally no sound so uh, so yeah it's just something that you can't get anywhere else and i'm i'm glad so i saw the first one at home okay because i didn't make it to the theaters for whatever reason and so i watched it for the first time by myself at home 
which thankfully I was by myself. So there wasn't a lot of distractions going on, but I think of, I think I finished watching that movie and I was like, man, that would have been fun to have seen in the theaters just with the way that they play with the sound and the contrast and all that kind of stuff. But it was still fantastic. And, you know, getting to see the second one in theaters just kind of affirmed everything that I thought about with the first one, which is, it's just a fantastic experience. I love that, you know, and we don't need to debate, you know, what's going on with theater releases, streaming releases, all that kind of stuff. We've talked about that a little bit already, but, you know, obviously John Krasinski was a huge proponent of watching movies in the movie theater. He even does a little intro. Intro. I don't know if it was in yours, but it was mine. There was a little intro that basically said like, thanks for coming out to the theaters and watching movies where they're meant to be watched in yeah. essence and he did a whole little tour and promo thing where he went to a lot of the uh the initial screenings or mm-hmm. early screenings of the movie as well and i think it's true i mean there's just so many things that you don't get watching it at home and that's not to bash on the experience of watching a movie at home because obviously you and i do that regularly it's just there's something that you can't replicate at home that you get in the theaters and and not just overpriced popcorn absolutely like it's and it's you know it's a credit to the film itself it's a credit to to everything like this i mean this movie made over 50 million dollars and a memorial day weekend coming out of a pandemic that's pretty great like that's awesome that is great news for movie theaters you know, that that's really, really great news in that it made <laughs> it made more money than Tenet did in its entire run, which, listen, I'm not here to badmouth Tenet. We have spoken about how much we love Tenet, but that movie, they forced it out in the middle of a pandemic. And we saw what happened. And now this one's coming in, like we said, at a little bit of the tail end of the pandemic, pandemic, people can see it and people went to see it. And that's just really exciting. And it really is something that helps with that existential dread that you briefly mentioned, you know, the difference between streaming versus all those other things. Um, I wanted to see, so technically this was not the first movie that was delayed to come out. Technically Spiral, the book of Saw came out last weekend, which neither of us saw, no pun intended. Uh, that was delayed from last year. But all the other big ones, you know, like Godzilla vs. Kong, Those Who Wish Me Dead, Cruella, Army of the Dead, those were all on schedule. And I kind of think that this is that perfect movie because this movie was about to come out last year before everything got shut down. They were doing press tours. They were doing preview screenings. There were tweet reviews that were already out before they said, nope, we're not going to release it. And it really does feel like besides like a Jurassic Park movie, like this is the kind of movie that is almost perfect to release as being like movies are back. You know, it's, it's, I don't believe it's R rated. Uh, It's scary, but not too creepy, you know, and it's really well made. It's a sequel, all of those types of things. So like, I'm, I'm stoked that it's back. I'm very, very, very excited. It's back. The Conjuring is coming out next weekend, which we will not be talking about. We've seen enough horror movies, um, but I'm glad it's back. So with, with, with all of that back, we really enjoyed the movie. 
And I want to talk spoilers. I want to get into a little bit of spoilers. I want to free us of the burden of not spoiling it. So, David, I think we can both safely say that we both enjoyed this movie quite a bit. If you can get to a theater safely to watch it, you should, right? Absolutely. We'll give we'll give more formal reviews in a little bit, but I really wanted to leave that to those who don't want to be spoiled for anything. Go out and see A Quiet Place too. Like, if you like the first one, you will love this one. There's no doubt about it. Um, David, I, the way I like to describe this movie, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not. It's like Raptors in the Kitchen from Jurassic Park, but the whole movie. Would you say, would you say that's, that's accurate? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. I think, you know, there's aspects. There's not really a lot of opportunities for you to come up and relax in this, this film. Right. Because... It establishes very early things can happen at any time. I do think it's fun to, and we've seen this happen, I feel like in a couple of movies maybe before, but it's obviously not very common that a sequel takes you back to before the prior movie. Right. Because, you know, obviously in the first movie, we start out and we're already in this in this world that is dealing with these aliens and the situation that we're in, but we don't really get to see kind of the origin of how things started out, how we got to this point. We get little flashbacks of things that happened along the way, but we don't get to see like the very beginning. And so I thought it was cool that with this movie, we get to revisit that, see, where things started from you get some of that that fun action it's a great sequence it's a dynamite sequence yeah it's it's so good and they do such a good job of establishing how we got to this point how people knew nothing going in it just disrupted life like literally life went to shit in two minutes Yep, you get a little bit more views of of obviously the monster itself or the monsters, the aliens, whatever you want to call it. You know, I look at this like you as a monster movie. And so you get a little bit better view at them. And and so it, it really sets up things for where we are. Obviously, you know, you get to kind of rehammer home, you know, John Krasinski's role and what he did for that for the family and just, you know, his willingness to sacrifice and be there and that right. and the re- relationship within that family that, you know, obviously builds up those stakes as well. I thought they did a really good job of introducing uh, Cillian Murphy's. Like, that- lo- like low key retrograding him into like, Oh, this guy's been in their lives and he just happened to be one of the other farms out somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I couldn't, you know, obviously they never established it, but I was even like, I kept asking myself throughout the movie, like, is this John Krasinski's character's brother or were they just friends sure. or, you know, like it was hard to kind of tell because the way that uh, Emily Blunt's character and the kids react to him, it's almost like he was more than just like a neighboring neighbor, but like, sure. it's also a small town. So not that that's, it really matters either way. That's probably but. what it is. It's just that small town, like really close neighborly familiar, familiar relationship. Yeah. There's also, he was like, uh, you guys need to leave. 
Yeah. And I think if they were related, he probably wouldn't have done that. But then again, sure. you never know with the apocalypse. Absolutely. Uh, so I thought they did a really good job of very quickly kind of bringing him into the world, mm -hmm. especially considering, you know, at that point, we're over a year, I think, into it. I think it was like day 465 or something. Yeah, that, like a year, almost a year and a half. Yeah, so almost a year and a half. So, like, you have to kind of lend or establish how he's still here, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I thought they did a pretty good job of bringing him into there and kind of setting his backstory and connection to them that like that worked really well, but then mm -hmm. we could get back to what everybody else wanted, which is how do we get around these monster, these aliens and right. kind of interact in this world. And he wasn't just a replacement for like a, Cause you it, it, like, okay, here's a, here's a good example. Uh, when they replace Keanu Reeves with Jason Patrick in speed Two, he's basically playing the same character. Like, yeah. and they did a, they, they really went out of their way to make sure to establish that, that his character is different and serves a different purpose to the story as well. His character is somebody who has lost his entire family who is shut in, who has seen the crazy people out in the world, the feral people that have lost their minds and have reverted back to basically that, that feral state. And he is somebody who doesn't think it's worth going out and putting in the effort. And that is a character arc for him throughout the entire movie where mm -hmm. he's forced to make this decision of whether I'm going to bring somebody back, whether, where, whether I'm going to bring um, the daughter back or not, you know, those types of things. And I really liked his character. His character, I thought, was a very good addition to the movie, even though he's not the main character. Yeah. You know, it's well, uh, and, and I think the only issue I had with his storyline is like, if you've lost all your family and you don't want to go out into the world, like, what's the point? What's the point? Like, I don't <laughs> want to say, like, what are you living for? But like, at the same time, like, what are you living for at this point? You know, like why be so cautious? Why be so like, if you're, are you really just content living out the rest of your days, looking through your, your 22 <laughs> scope yeah, and just hanging out in the furnace? Like, is that <laughs> what you're looking for? Or like, what's, what's your end game here? What are you holding out for? You know, and obviously he's living below where his wife died you know, and things like that. And so like, I'm sure there's a connection of not wanting to leave that place, but like, you'd think when these other people come in there that he would see that as a motivation for continuing going. And I think he eventually gets there, you know, but early on his resistance seems a little weird because you'd think like, ah, people, something to gravitate, a purpose, uh, right. you know, something like that. And, and, and again, he gets there, but at the same time, it's weird that he would want to just be alone in this world. That's obviously, you know, post-apocalyptic in essence. Yeah. You know, maybe he would branch out. He seems like somebody who's been out, like he knows the world and frankly, like who, who knows? I mean, <laughs> not to get too existential, but why do any of us do what we do? You know, like why, why some, sometimes we have just this drive in us to stay alive, you know, sure. even if you've lost everything. And so, I also think that that was a part of his character too, is finding that drive again, right? Finding that purpose to be 
to to have and to do something you know um and that was really good obviously the star though is uh is uh millicent simmons mm-hmm. who is deaf and just basically the star of the movie you know emily blunt's above the name and killian murphy's above the above the title but this is millicent simmons movie and i think low-key my favorite part about the movie is that it has this kind of it, it's not very preachy but it does have this kind of like the youth will save us idea where you know emily blunt's character evelyn silly murphy's character Emmett, like they're just trying to stay alive you know we're just trying to live day by day we're trying to play defense and stay alive and Millicent obviously is the one who wants to play offense. You know, we want to go and do something about it. And Noah Jupe's character, who's the son, Marcus, you know, he kind of has his own evolution to where the last sequence of the film, which I got to say, one of the other favorite parts about this movie is the way that it edits these very tense, scary action sequences on top of one another. And it criss cuts between, you know, them getting attacked by the creepy peer people with her, you know, trying to stave off the, the, the alien at the mill, right? It, it intercuts that stuff so freaking well. It's incredibly well done. Shouts out to Krasinski as a director uh, and the editing uh, done by uh, Michael Shaver. Excellent stuff. And that end of the movie has this kind of like, both of the children are protecting their parents, their elders. Both of them are taking agency and action. And it just, it got me all jacked up. I was just like, let's go. Let's take the fight to them. Well, and um, I think, I think also with the daughter though, it's a little bit about carrying on her father's legacy. Because, sure. you know, a lot of what she says is like, dad was, doing this over and over again right he listened to the radios every night you know right. he he scanned for all of these things like he was trying to figure out what was their next step what was their way he wasn't content just staying there type of thing and so i think there's a little bit of that too um, because you get a lot of the conversation about you know who he was versus who cillian murphy's Right. Uh, you're never like him, was blah, blah, blah. and things like that and so I think there's that concept there as well um, I do think something that they do so well and, and kind of playing off what you said about the timing is we talked about this with for those who wish me dead and on the flip side we talked about this with army of the dead <laughs> this movie is is the perfect amount of time and I think the reason it's able to stay at 97 minutes for this movie is because it does stack those sequences on, on each other. Like it doesn't try to do the one full scene and draw it out for 15 minutes and then move on to the next tense scene and draw it out for 15 minutes. Like it really plays up that like, these are happening at the same time. They are both going through this, this tense, these circumstances at the same time. Right. And so I think, it all just kind of lends really well. And I also really like the way that they use subtlety to tell you exactly what the stakes are and what the time is Mm -hmm. without having to do it so overtly, like a character saying like, 
Like for instance, the oxygen, rather yeah. than being like, we're out of oxygen. We, we only got 10 minutes of time or we're almost out of oxygen. Like it just does little camera shots that zoom in on the oxygen or like when this, the kid who, this is the only time I talked during the movie is when the kid inexplicably decides to go for a yeah. jaunt to don't, use his binoculars. Don't care for it. I don't understand this. I get it. Mom's been gone maybe longer than we thought. But like, what is going to be accomplished by going out there and looking with your binoculars? Exactly. What, what is going to be accomplished? You had one job to do. And <laughs> so, but they zoom in as he leaves on the oxygen tank and how it's getting low. Mm -hmm. And at that's first, how like, you do, that's how you do a ticking clock. Exactly. Versus a 20 minute clock that never expires. And there's other things like that, you know, like as they're in there, you know, you just know they're almost out of oxygen. They're almost out of oxygen. Right. Like you don't even have to see the gauge again, even though they go back to it a few times, you don't even have to see that to know that they gotta be almost out. And right. even though you know what's building up, you you have this sense of like wanting to see how do they get out of this? Do they get out of this? You yes. know, what's going to happen to the baby, all that kind of stuff. And they build up all these questions that yes, they show you what is going to come. Mm -hmm. you, you know, they hint at, they foreshadow what's, what's coming up, but they create such drama in knowing that, that you're like, how is this going to work itself out? Is it going to work itself out versus like, a lot of, I feel like monster movies and things like that, just have them walking along like nothing's wrong. And then out of nowhere, <laughs> they die. And like, that's it. Like, whereas this, like, we know what the threat is. We've right. seen it. And now we've got to watch it unfold and worry about the character for all of this. Exactly. You know? exactly. So, which I love what it does. It's, again, it is the age old adage of show don't tell. Right. Yep. This movie is very quiet. And therefore, most of the time has to communicate with its audience via a visual language, right? Via showing them like when, like it's little touches, like when she walks past the train station and there's just shoes, there's dusty shoes and like uh, phones and people who've left their things behind because they were killed and or ran away or whatever, you know, when they walk along the bridge and all the doors are open on the cars, like it tells you that this is something that happened very fast mm -hmm. and it's just great, man. And the sequences are so like, this is movies like this are divided into sequences. Like they're just, those are the memorable things. Right. Mm -hmm. And the sequences in this movie are just top notch. You know, I've heard it. I've heard Krasinski referred to at least his direction as Spielbergian. And you know, that always this is going to pique my interest. <laughs> and it's true, though. Like, he stages these sequences of tension that are just so incredibly well done, whether it be that first sequence like we talked about, which is just tense action, whether it be the bear trap sequence, whether it be the train, which might be my favorite one of the whole movie, the way that that just is a slow pan revealed to show the alien is there, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be the docks, where you get the where you get creepy Scoot McNary showing up for like nothing, uh, like and the way that that all unfolds, which mm -hmm. is just so cool. The way 
the way Killian Murphy's just like the whole the callback to the dive hand motion, mm-hmm. chef's kiss, phenomenal yep. stuff. The way that he's like he's just like fuck it, and he grabs the guy and shakes the thing, stabs him in the leg, like uses him as a human shield. The way it's established that they can't swim, just incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just it's it's so well done. It's just so incredibly well done. Did you have a particular favorite? sequence out of the whole movie i think you touched on a lot of my favorites but i also you know we talked about the end scene and you know i i really enjoyed the emily blunt side of things was great with the sun but again i was too pissed at the sun for screwing everything up already it's the biggest weakness of the movie it's true but i really enjoyed the other aspect of it which is on the island where all these people have been safe uh, my only nitpick there would be these aliens haven't really shown like intelligence of like being patient. So like if this alien like hung on to the side of this boat, why didn't right. it climb up and kill them? Like versus it like hung there the whole time, let them get off the boat and walk in there, spend an entire night. And then it starts showing up like that was my only. But that was a different boat. Was it? Yeah, so they she picked him up, and that's what. And again, this is a little bit of a stretch of disbelief, a tiny one, but I'll buy it. I'll buy this mm-hmm. one, right? So they're looking to get the big boat, and yeah. the the two creatures attack. Yep. She bails. She dives. Yep. No, they're on the little one. Yeah. And then she grabs the little one, but it shows that big creature is stuck on the one boat that was unmoored and untied, and the, the tide is what brings that big ah. boat. Okay. And so that's the boat that Emmett finds. He finds the boat that is all scarred up and he's like, oh shit, it's here. So okay. you kind of okay. didn't learn how to drive a boat. No, but did the, did the, the, what's the word? Uh, coast did the uh, flow. What word the, am I looking for? The tide. The tide. Thank you. Yes. Did the tide carry it to the island? All right. All right. Okay. I can buy that. Okay. So, well, regardless, I really enjoyed the whole sequence on the island. I enjoyed uh, one of the most telegraphed sequences of the movie, but still one of those, like, you got to have, if you're going to do a horror movie, monster movie, that kind of thing, you got to have that moment where you're like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, you're going to die. And then that happens. (laughs) Our boy Jimon... Jimon Hansau showing up for when they get to when they get when they get to the radio station and he's like, you know, maybe we lost it. It's going to go back. I got to go back. And they're like, no, don't do it. And he's like, I'm going to go. And then sure enough, that happens. But I love the sequence, um, the tension. It was very, to your point earlier, um, Jurassic Park esque with the sneaking around the station, going in the sound booth, all that kind of stuff the it, climbing it through the window like that's my favorite thing is that it's everything moves so slowly right you have to move slow and deliberately and it just works so well like these things don't have to be these like ah flashy all you know bullshit like just a well-crafted slow moving sequence can can get you sweating as as much as anything Well, and I think that's the great part about this movie and kind of the concept of it with these aliens is that we know that in every horror movie, when you're hiding from the bad guys or the monster, 
you don't want to make any noise because right. if they hear you, they'll try and find you. Right. Like the whole concept of like, literally that's the only way they find you is through sound. And obviously just playing an even more importance of staying quiet and being quiet mm -hmm. is, is just so much fun in throughout the movie. And, and so, yeah, I, I enjoyed a lot of it. Like I said, a little bit of nitpicks, in that in the in the climax there at the end but sure it, it was just such a good time and like i said the timing is perfect 97 minutes is is phenomenal we talk all the time that we love like those 90 to 100 minute movies are like perfect just timing wise don't, don't waste my time you can be as long as you want bad boys 2 was like two and a half hours long and it's one of the greatest movies ever made like it's it's just don't if you're gonna if you're gonna give me all of that don't be the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. So question on, on the movie. Obviously, okay. this is Quiet Place 2. Okay. Emily Blunt said just recently that Krasinski has a concept for a third movie. Okay. There's already supposedly a spinoff uh, that Paramount hired someone to write and direct a spinoff. Interesting. Based off of the original idea, or at least that's... That's what it says in the Wikipedia page. It says in November 2020. Well, Jeff Nichols. Jeff Nichols. Jeff Nichols is legit. He made Mud. He made mm -hmm. uh, some Midnight Special. That's yep. very interesting. So he's already been hired to do a spinoff, which would tell us maybe we're somewhere else in this right. world, you know, something like that. But Emily Blunt saying that, Krasinski has an idea for the third film. Uh -huh. My question to you with where we left off, because first movie ends and they basically have figured out a solution yep. to stopping them. Yep. Not, not a solution to just annihilating them. It's not like, it's not like signs when they realize that they're afraid of water. Right. And just, you know, get them all, spray them all with water and they go away. Like they're still <laughs> difficult to beat. Yes. Like everybody has, you know, an implant that they can put up to a microphone and an amp and, and stop them in their tracks. But you've learned exactly how they can fight back. This right. movie is all about, okay, how do we take that the next level? Right. You think the third movie would be like, basically taking earth back from these aliens or what, what would your thought be of what a third movie would look like? That's a difficult question, right? Because of the way this movie ends, I, I would think that that is the natural progression, but it also brings up some other questions that weren't necessarily answered in this movie, such as why was that? Like, why was that islands? Why were they playing codes? Why couldn't they just get on the radio and be like, uh, if you're available, come to the island. Now, there's reason, There's an answer to that, which is we don't want every asshole coming to this island. We have limited, limited resources and stuff like that. So I get it. And so, but like, it feels like playing beyond the sea on a loop is not the most effective. They, they want only intelligent people. on Right. Earth. Okay. You figure <laughs> you have figured out our riddle and therefore can be welcomed into our community. It's like a freaking D and D game. It's um, uh, it's Monty Python. You got to answer the three questions before coming on. What is the land speed of a, of a mongoose? Like it's, it's, I, I have questions about that. And so then it's just like, 
what does that next movie look like, right? These movies are not very expensive. This one only costs $61 million. I say only because that's relatively cheap when it comes to these kinds of movies, you know? Uh, It's already made its budget back. And so to go big, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. This is ultimately has been a movie about a family, right? And I think you have to stay with that. And so maybe it's about the fact that you know, the kids are now the forefront. You know, the kids are now two of the leaders of some type of small revolution. How are they communicating with people? Are they just playing that bad feedback over the radio or are they hopping on every once in a while and being like, hey, everybody, if you're coming into contact with a monster, play this sound, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I have bigger questions, too. Like, I want, I want to throw questions at you, such All as, right. is this something that's happening worldwide? Or is it something that's happening only in America? I would say worldwide based off of the fact that the America is in the state like that it is. I think a year and a half, if it was Uh just America. I mean, I know we're not the most loved country, but I would hope someone would have come over and help. The Canadian military would have swung (laughs) down and helped us out a little bit. I would have hoped there would have been some help out well here's the other aspect granted there's bridges so that kind of and we already saw that the bridges were occupied because i was going to say technically we were on the island of new york as well so right like you could have said was it only on (laughs) exactly right so there are just these this is the the stupid stuff that we do which is just asking logistical questions because like we're smarter viewers but that kind of makes us not as fun I think it's worldwide. And so I think that's to your point, it's, it's a question of like each movie has gotten larger in scale, both right. in cast as well as, you know, that opening sequence obviously costs probably more money than the entire previous film <laughs> probably, to do. Yeah. And because of that, you know, this movie is going to make a great profit, even in a post in a pandemic world that we still aren't quite out of. It's going to make a great profit. But does this movie make the same type of profit if it's a $150 million movie? I think it does. I think it's built up enough equity that, you know, even if it doesn't blow it out of the water and make like a billion dollars or 500 million, like I think you could make this, make the next level up from this for 150 million and at least get 300 million back. Cause the first movie made, I think like 370 or something like that. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, that's yep. just pulling a number out of my head. No, you were, you, you got it. It was like there 340. It's 340. All right. 340. So I was in the ballpark. So yeah. I would think a $150 million budget, you could make three, 50 off of it granted that's not the same as making something for 20 million and making 340 right but at the same time like is that still worth it especially with like paramount who views it probably as a dual purpose as a streaming product now Mm -hmm. as well as a theater release i could see it being made Um, sure i i I think it's just the scope versus the focus you know well and the question is too like yeah, I think Dallas and I talked about this after the movie um, as we were leaving and it was the concept of like, okay, these aliens, like what's their purpose? Because right, what's their goal? 
they come down here and as you watch like they don't it's not like they're eating these no they're the just humans wrecking they're people straight up ganking them they're yeah. smashing them and and moving on to the next one like because you see the bodies in the train they're all just dead they're not like they didn't go to town and eat all these humans right. like they're just there further point how do these aliens survive like what's their food right because if they're not eating the humans are I they mean, just they have, you know they're carnivores. going around snacking on they have on animals and things like they that have very sharp teeth i was going to ask you this question too which is what's their purpose are they intelligent or are they just parasitic you know like they're blind they can't see anything right i was going to ask if you think like you you brought up signs, which I'm actually really glad you brought up signs because mm-hmm. that I really like that movie. But that movie has one of the more stupid twists, which is the aliens are invading mm-hmm. and the water kills them. And you've you've decided to invade a planet that is like 75 percent. It's all water. We're all water. It's like, let's go land on a lava planet with no spacesuits or protection right so originally i was going to ask is their inability to swim just as bad of a tactic because you've landed on a planet that's all water but then i remembered these guys don't really seem like they're intelligent they don't seem like they have decision making skills they do seem animalistic and parasitic and you also see at the beginning of the movie the way that their whatever enters the atmosphere it's not exactly like it, that's a that's a comet. That is a trajectory course type so, thing. So it reminds me kind of like the bugs from Starship Troopers in a bit. You know, so like that's that's what they do. That was my next thing is we don't really know how they got there. Like we see what looks like a comet coming right. down and crashing, but like, is that a alien ship that crashes and then they just you know disperse? We've never really gotten a concept for how many there are um, because obviously we see it crash what seems like it's way off in the distance but it doesn't take them long to get from off in the distance to that town right Um, and so yeah the I could see the third movie maybe being them exploring where it crashed like Mm -hmm. the only way we're going to figure out where these guys came from and how to make sure there's not going to be more coming back or yada, yada, yada. Right. Is got to go see where it all started. And like, right. I could see them having to go back through the town and seeing like all the same shots from the opening scene and the baseball field and like uh-huh. the okay. diner that they, you know, and you're making your way to that, right. that original host site where it landed. And maybe that's the reveal or, or something like that. Um, I could see something like that, but again, I don't know to what ends because they don't appear intelligent. They don't, you know, maybe they're like, I can't remember what movie where like the initial flood is like the mindless, like worker drones that are meant to just like scour the earth and eliminate everybody. And then like the intelligent life actually comes down. It's like, it's, it could also be like kind of like attack the block, which is where like these aliens, they're just parasites and they just mm-hmm. came in and they're looking for the female or whatever. Um, Cause there are, I mean, again, like there are other questions, like they're clearly 
uh, fireproof. You know, she throws the, she blows up the oxygen tank. That thing walks out without a scratch. So they don't need protection to enter the atmosphere if they have a heat shield, right? So they could all just be latching onto this rock like a bunch of space spiders (laughs) or something like that. It's true. And just like, that's their goal, right? Um, I have other questions. Like, again, and this is the thing, right? This does not affect the quality of the film to me, but... A, a farmer's family managed to figure out that the feedback from her hearing aid screwed with aliens who hunt by sound has had nobody figured that out. Had nobody offered that hypothesis. Did the military get wiped the F out like that quickly? I've seen local police forces in work. Those guys have body armor and tanks like that goes to your question of how many were there, you know, how effective was this first strike so effective because there were so many or they, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? And, and that's my guess is my guess is like everything in what we saw in that opening scene lends us to believe that this happened just so quickly. And all the shots later of like how like life just basically stopped right. like in a moment. And all of that lends me to believe that like it was over before we even knew it, you know, like there was no time to react. And so that would also lend me to believe also like there was a lot of comets that hit because exactly you have to think of like, we've got places like Washington DC where there's bunkers and there's things like that. Like where the top people in the entire world are, are housed that have access to rockets and things that they don't have to be out there for like that's and the so thing. my my only explanation is like it happened in a bunch of spots and there was so many of them that like there was just no time things things but, and we've seen in 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 real life tragedies you know whatever tragedy you want to bring up if you want to bring up a school shooting if you want to bring up an, an act of god a natural disaster terrorist event whatever anytime that there is a large casualty event it does happen very, very quickly, and it happens before anybody can react. But then, usually, the people who are not directly re- affected have the opportunity to respond. So, if that wasn't the case here, then it would have to be a worldwide event, you know? For sure. So, I guess we'll wait and see till part three. Uh, all right, David, that means we got to wrap this up. We got to get to our other conversation about Corella. But before we do, we got to do our popcorn rating. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Now, if you've never listened to the Popcorn Diet before, thank you. Welcome. We're happy you're listening. Uh, we do our movie ratings a little bit differently. Instead of stars or thumbs up, we like to rate it on our popcorn scale. Burnt popcorn means garbage. Don't waste your time. It is trash. Stale popcorn means if you're desperate, I guess, but don't pay any money for it because it's not very good. Microwave popcorn means it's all right. Your mileage may vary. Some microwave popcorn can be really good to some people. Some of it can be really crappy to some people. It's microwave popcorn. It's fine. We then have movie theater popcorn, which means you should probably go see this movie in a movie theater as soon as possible or not as soon as possible, but at some point in time. And then perfect popcorns means you should go see it on the biggest screen that you can as soon as possible run don't walk to see this movie and if we're ever in between we like to throw a soda in there just in case so david what is your popcorn rating for a quiet place part two 
I am giving it movie theater popcorn and a soda. So just just off perfect popcorn. Okay. Like I said, there's there's very few uh, few few things I can complain about. You know, maybe some slight questions that that remain unanswered, but. I, Perfect runtime. I enjoyed all the performances. I enjoyed uh, everything but the kid wandering out and, and messing everything up. But yeah. uh, <laughs> other than that, I, I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. Definitely highly recommend, especially if you enjoyed the first one. Maybe it's a, a slight step down from the first one because, you know, obviously the whole, you know, basis of it has already been explored of the whole concept of the the sound and the quiet you know right. being quiet and all that has already been explored once so it's not right. as new and and special to you but it, it continues on it it fits really well especially you know with switching um to krasinski writing it from the the writers of the first one sure it feels cohesive it nothing seems to like depart from what was established in the first i think if you like the first one you'll really enjoy the second one I'm going to give it perfect popcorn. And the reason is because, yes, the kid does stupid things. And, yes, people make dumb decisions. <laughs> but, like, Lex turns the flashlight on in Jurassic Park. She does the dumbest possible thing she could do. And they get attacked by the T-Rex. And that movie is perfect to me. So I'm not going to fault the dumb decision of a, of a dumb kid in the movie. I had a blast. I think the action sequences are A+. I think it's incredibly tense and, and uh, intense. And I think if you can handle that, like if, if, if you can handle that type of movie, I do not think you're going to be disappointed. Uh, I would recommend everybody see this in the movie theater as soon as possible. Uh, it, it's just great. Like Krasinski, I hope he can do more of this kind of stuff, man. Like his direct his th these two movies are impeccably crafted. They're very well acted. They're very well assembled. And I had an absolute blast with it. Uh we're going to talk about Cruella. We're going to bring Leah Theodosis in to talk about Cruella. But before we do, we're going to take a quick little break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider Becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. All right. We're back. Leah Theodosis, good friend of the podcast. We are we are connecting over Zoom, not because we need to be distanced. I mean, we did go to a movie theater to see Cruella, but because my soundboard has has unfortunately taken a dump. And so this is how we can connect. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I am doing very well. So we're, we're here to talk about Cruella, obviously. But before I do, I have two questions. The first is, 
I feel like I've had you on the podcast before. And if it's not you, it's I've had this conversation with somebody else. But what are your overall thoughts regarding live action Disney remakes? Are you pro con? Are there some you like some you don't like? Um, I was probably, um, what's the word? I was probably just like, meh, I don't really care. I don't agnostic. Don't dislike <laughs> them. Yeah. I don't dislike them, but I'm not like biting at my nails to see them sure. until now. Well, that's the thing, right? Is like, there's been, I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there's been several and some have been good. Some have been bad. And yeah. some have been just fine. Like, were you somebody who thought the Lion King was bad? No, I thought it was great. I loved it. I thought it was impressive visually. Um, but I also wasn't like, oh, my God, that's so much better. Like, that was such a great reimagining of that story because it wasn't really a reimagine of the story anyways. But right. I, it was beautiful. <laughs> and same with the Jungle Book. That was beautiful and like, well done. But I never saw Dumbo. I never saw Maleficent 2. Okay. Um, I saw Cinderella. I saw Beauty and the Beast. I saw Aladdin. And those were all fine. But there were things about them that I was just like, uh, I don't know if it translates as well um, from like a cartoon into a live action. So I was never like super excited about them. Sure. And there's been some that like I've, I haven't even seen the second Maleficent. Uh, yeah, I've seen, me neither. I've seen most of the other ones. I didn't see the Lady and the Tramp remake on Disney Plus, but that's there. Same. That was, that was one of like the launch day like exclusives. Mm -hmm. um, but I've liked all the other ones, like even the first Alice in Wonderland. I didn't like the second Alice in Wonderland. I didn't like Dumbo. Oh yeah, I, I didn't see either of those. Did you see Pete's Dragon yet? I saw Pete's Dragon. Okay. And I like that one. That was a good one. Did you see Christopher Robin? Nope. Okay, I have apparently Christopher know, Robin is considered one of the better ones. I didn't like it. Yeah, um, but you didn't like it because it made you feel a certain way, not because it was like yes, badly made. A bad movie, right? right. Yeah, it was positive. It was it was correctly made. I it did. I didn't care for <laughs> my like one sentence elevator pitch argument is I don't want to see adult Christopher Robin be a dick to like sweet ass Winnie the Pooh for like an hour just to learn a lesson. Like be nice to the, your friend, the adorable stuffed bear, you know, it's like, yeah, it's not that hard. Yeah. It's tough. Like I don't want to see Christopher Robin project his adult father problems on like poor Winnie the Pooh, like take it easy. And, and I didn't care for that, but <laughs> Like, it is a very well-made movie, I, I have to admit. So, you're agnostic on Disney remakes. Oh, did, what'd you think of Mulan? Did you watch Mulan? Yeah, it was good. I watched it at home. I watched okay. it on Disney+. Plus. Um, it I was good. I, did it was I really have well you done. on for Mulan? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, we talked about Mulan. It was really well done. It just wasn't like, I don't know. For me, there were things that were missing that made Mulan such a great cartoon movie in my book. Um, that they didn't they didn't use in the live action sure. which that was the direction they wanted to go with which is fine but for me personally I missed the songs I missed I missed the some of the characters um <laughs> you missed and that Mushu. had a lot of I miss Mushu <laughs> and that great um what's that song I love from Mulan I forget the name of it 
But remember, we were driving in the car that one time, and I was like, this is the best Mulan song. And it was like the credit song. It wasn't even like a sing-along song. It was the for, like the true to your heart. It's like, true to your heart. You yeah. must be true to your heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that song. That's but, so funny. Yeah, so Mulan was good, but I didn't, it, it didn't like stick. Like if someone is watching it, maybe I'll sit and watch it with them, but I'm not going to go out of my way to watch that movie again. Sure. Sure. Uh, so we got to go back to the theaters. Yes, we did. This is your second time at the movie theaters? Second movie in like two years. Because uh, I had a baby before that. So I didn't like really go to the movies. Yep. You had a baby. Max you had a, was a newborn. You had a baby in October of 2019. And mm-hmm. by the time you were recovered, everything was shut down. Yep. And, we and went- I mean, even when I was pregnant, I didn't really go to the, I didn't go right. to the movies all that much so right. yeah it's been like pr- almost two years this is my second film um and boy oh boy <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it <laughs> so like that was my so that was my point which is like the first movie which was just like hey let's get you guys out of the house let's get you back into the movie theater that was um Godzilla versus Kong which yes. was which was dope and dumb as hell but it's not exactly so stupid, it's not but exactly, very fun to watch in a theater. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. You know, I, I had a great time doing it, but we can both admit that's not exactly your cup of tea. Yeah, I'm not like, oh, I can't wait to see what's going to happen in this world. <laughs> right. I'm just like, I watch the movies and I know enough about it to keep up, but it's not like I probably would have wanted to go see like the Lonely Hearts Gallery over. I saw that over that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. And so. We went to the theater for this. We specifically, we are not paying. If we're going to pay money to go see a Disney movie, we have the, we fortunately have the ability to go see it in Arizona where we're at. And we're not going to buy the premier access. We're going to the big screen. Going so, to spend my money at this, at the theater. You said coming in that you weren't sure about this movie, right? I wasn't sure about it because I didn't like the way that other villains have been portrayed in the live action movies. Okay. Elaborate on that because, because it's different for all of them. Right. Cause like you yes. have the Maleficent movies, which straight up turn her into the hero. You yes. have, you have some of the direct, you know, remakes, you know, Gaston is Gaston and the, yes. the, the evil stepmother is the evil stepmother. And then you have some other, well, I guess ones. I should, I guess the only one I can really relate it to is Maleficent. And I did not like, like, I like the movie itself of Maleficent, but I did not like the story. I didn't like how, like, you felt like this villain who's an evil monster villain in the cartoon. All of a sudden, they are like, let's change your mind about this person and, like, give them an like a more in-depth story. And it kind of reminds me of what they did with Wicked and- um, Oh, that's so funny you brought uh, that up. The Wizard of Oz. It's very similar in that sense where it's like, you know so much about a specific story based off of what you see in like a film or something. And then they all of a sudden change it on you. And I don't know. So I was worried because I just was like, I mean- like Cruella DeVille is a monster. Like she wants to kill puppies. She's a psychopath. Yes. So like, how are they going to like 
how is Emma Stone going to portray this character? Like, what does the script look like? Mm-hmm. And as someone who is a diehard Emma Stone fan, I was in no matter what. I wanted to watch it no matter no sure. matter what. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just was worried that they were going to somehow make us feel like like tricked into thinking that like maybe she didn't actually want to kill puppies in the cartoon or something. Okay. Um, I don't know. Which I mean, so let's get into it. We're going to go full spoilers with this conversation. You can watch this on Disney Plus Premiere Access. You can go see it in a movie theater. So it's really funny that you bring up Wicked, right? Because I actually think this has way more in common with Wicked than Maleficent does. Maleficent straight up tells a completely different story. Like, yeah. it's not It's not even like, a, oh, this is, oh, if you watch, you know, Sleeping Beauty, this fits within the margins, like, it uses some of the some of the main benchmarks of Sleeping Beauty and builds its own thing. And then by yeah. the second one, she's a full blown like good guy. Like, is she a little edgy? You know, does she have a little bit of an attitude? Like, sure. She's alternative. But she's a good guy. You know, they sell her horns at Hot Topic. With this, <laughs> this feels and even though this does not cross over with with 101 Dalmatians, this feels like more like wicked in that it seems that she is curating a public persona of what we know Cruella DeVille to be. And even though she is aspects of that, she is not completely the terrible person that we are used to. Now, again, we don't know what that sequel is going to be like. We'll, we'll talk. I'll ask you about the sequel in a little bit, but like, that's what interested me more because that's very much similar to wicked in that wicked acts within the margins of the wizard of Oz, particularly the play. And Mm -hmm. it kind of shows you just an alternate angle as to what really was going on when you weren't with Dorothy, you Mm -hmm. know, and, but it didn't completely, um, I don't know what the word is. It didn't completely change the persona of the Wicked Witch of the West. It gave her backstory and it showed um, what's the word I'm looking for? Context, basically, mm-hmm. for her behavior. Uh, and that's what I feel like this is doing. Would you agree? Or or like what, may, not would you agree, but what made what they did here, what made you like it better than what they did with Maleficent? Because you like this movie. I think it I think it also was the way Maleficent was tied into like the original story. It wasn't like a whole movie that was an origin story of this character. So I liked that about Cruella. It's like they set it up for a sequel, in my opinion, which if they make one, sign me up. Um, <laughs> but I liked the way that it was all a, an origin story in a way. Like you meet Cruella as a little girl. And you see, like, she's a little troublemaker, but her mom encourages her to be kind. So she's got, like, this, like, wickedness about her as a child, but she's also, like, trying to do the right thing and mm-hmm. trying to be good. But for her, that's, like, difficult and hard. And as reveals start happening and things start coming into light for her, she kind of realizes, like, oh, this is actually who I am. and they didn't really tie into the 101 Dalmatians story that you and I know 
Right. They they leave it right at the edge of like, oh, this is the next chapter. But they do a really good job at separating them. And so mm-hmm. I think that's what makes this movie so good is because it's not tying in things that you know have happened in 101 Dalmatians. It's introducing characters that you know, but it's mm-hmm. not it's not in the same timeline. So I really liked how they did that in this whole film. And they gave like little nods and touches to the story that Disney has shared and um, that we've all seen before. But I, I just liked how this was truly such a origin story for her. It was, and- a, it was a completely set, like with Maleficent, they do a little origin story, which is, I don't know if you remember it, but it's basically like an allegory for rape, which is crazy. Um, I don't remember that. She gets her. It's this whole thing. It's this whole thing about how she's a fairy. She's got wings. She has this romance with with the prince. And then I don't remember what happens, but for some reason, the prince is like, I got I got to kill this fairy. And rather than kill her. He like lures her in, cuts her wings off, and then brings those wings as evidence that he killed her. It's like a violation, right? Okay. And that is really the only origin story. And then boom, it's okay, everybody. It's Angelina Jolie. She's pissed off at a baby's, you know, christening. Weird, weird look. <laughs> Uh, with this, as you said, it's rather than those first minutes of that movie, it is the entire story to provide yeah. us context. And it does have like has uh, uh, Jasper and Horace are from her. Those yep. are her two henchmen in 101 Dalmatians. We meet Roger. We Anita, meet Roger. We meet Anita. Anita. We meet um, the whole reason. Well, the funny thing is, is that we are theoretically given a reason as to why she would hate Dalmatians. But then by yeah. the end of the movie, she clearly doesn't hate Dalmatians. Yeah. And so like, that's, that's interesting. I think that's a little undefined you know is she traumatized does she hate these dalmatians because like you spend half the movie like saying oh these dalmatians are like bad like they are yeah but then by the end she's giving dalmatians to people and it's like well we'll see um which is like if they do a second one i feel like if they did a second one that would be like the story of creating the Cruella you know from the cartoon or Glenn Close's um what's the word I'm looking for how she portrayed Cruella DeVille yeah yeah and it's like I think if Disney Cruella 2 with Emma Stone that story is where we would be introduced into the Cruella that like wants to kill puppies so don't get too deep into that yet because i do want to ask you that question kind of in like the you know where do we think we're gonna go uh yeah but like overall like how did you like it like i think one of the big things for me this might be a larger a longer conversation but i thought it was just incredibly well made i thought seeing emma stone and emma thompson just like throwing like knives at each other basically was like incredibly entertaining. The costumes were out of control. The way that they shot the movie, edited the movie, the needle drops in the movie, all of it was incredibly creative. And yet, like, it's got a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is fine. And I'm really? just- Really? That's I'm, so surprising. 
I'm just curious, like, because you would probably agree with me on all those things. And I want you to talk about that. Actually, yeah. you know what? Before I ask you that question, tell me how you liked the movie. I loved the movie. I loved it. When we walked out, I said, I can't wait to go see it again. And I yeah. will go see it again. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's just. I can't stop listening to the soundtrack. I can't stop watching interviews with the cast now. I seriously loved everything about it. It's also set in like an incredibly fun timeline. And I have to imagine that working on this film was one of the most fun experiences any cast or crew member ha would have. Yeah, absolutely. It just looks like everybody had a blast. Oh, wow. They do have a, yeah. a they do have an actual soundtrack on top of the score too. the score is really good. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But I've been listening to the actual soundtrack with like okay. the fun music the gotcha. the you know the whole like what is it 60s listen this is what London. is on the soundtrack it is the Bee Gees the Doors Nina Simone Tina Turner Queen the Clash like it's nuts I can't imagine mm -hmm. how much money they spent on the soundtrack alone yeah it's really good and it just sets the mood in the whole movie yeah. Every song they picked for every scene that they had that song playing, it's like, was perfect. Is there not too much? I felt like, I felt like I, I didn't mind this at all, but I felt like 20 minutes of the movie and we are like, there's like five different needle drops. Yeah, I don't know. I liked it. And maybe it's because I haven't seen a movie, a new movie that I've been excited about in a really long time. Sure. Um, but I, I was following the story. I was into it. I was just like jaw open. I kept turning to Matt because he was with us. And I was just like, I'm obsessed with this movie. I was like, this movie <laughs> is so fun. I was like, I'm having so much fun watching this. And Emma Stone's having a blast. And I think everybody's having a blast. Like you said, it, it, it's even all the way down, right? We talked about Emma Stone and Emma Thompson, but you got like, you, you got... The entire cast, you know, Joel Fry is Jasper, Paul Walter Hauser's Horace. They're having a blast. Paul Walter Hauser is hilarious in this movie. He's the shorter so one. So good. Yeah. Um, Mark Strong. Even those two characters, I was like, oh, they're going to be like really, really small, really, really side, like just a tie into the original story that you know. Yeah. But like they had their own character development that I loved seeing as well. Yeah. And it was it was so well done. I just loved it. And I didn't find that there were any like plot holes or anything like that. I was like, this all makes a lot of sense how it's done. Yeah. Wink shouts out to wink. The one eyed dog, like true MVP oh, of the movie. I think such a cute little dog. Um, so here's a question for you. Cause we were kind of talking about this afterwards. I feel that, and it, you know, this is a weird conversation to have because it's Disney and they're this huge corporation and they just print money. It's just a money factory over there. Everything that comes out, it's existing IP, sequel, remake, whatever. You're, we're going to pay. You're going to pay money to see this, right? And yet, mm -hmm. when you enjoy a movie like this that is well-acted, well-made, well-directed, just top to bottom, Pretty, pretty, pretty well written, you know, well put together, all those types of things. And you see, and I see, oh, 74% on Rotten Tomatoes or, oh, Corella's just, eh, you know, oh, I didn't like it. Why is this made, you know, uh, 
who is this for? Uh, oh, it's existing Not IP. For you. Like, I wonder if this movie would get more critical attention. Not that it matters, but it does. Critical attention, awards contention, you know, movie snob cont- uh, attention. If it wasn't called Cruella, if it was called something else, if it was called Fru- Frufella. And it was oh, about- Oh, yeah, I'm sure it, it would be good this, with that title. This, <laughs> if it was, or if it was called like, I don't know, like Jane- or something, or like punk rock fashion, you know, <laughs> battle warfare, or something like that, right? Uh-huh. And it was a story about a girl trying to find herself, who's going through all the things that she goes through. She's a troublemaker. She is motivated by this love of fashion, and it gets her in basically, you know, a mentorship that turns into a rivalry with this elite fashion, you know, icon. Like, they just made Phantom Thread like four years ago where Daniel Day-Lewis is playing a dressmaker and everyone's like, this should, this is best picture. I just wonder if, if do you, do you think if it wasn't Cruella, if it wasn't 101 Dalmatians, do you think it would be more critically accepted? Do you think the movie nerds or the movie snobs, I don't want to say the movie nerds, but the movie snobs would be more accepting of it. And, and like, do you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like they just immediately yeah. dismiss it because it's from Disney and it's a remake and it's a cash grab. I think there's two things that the reason that people it's being dismissed is I have to imagine because the two main leads in the whole movie are female. So a lot of movie snobs are guys and guys don't really like when the main characters in a film are female. If, if I can be honest, that's how I think. Sure. Look at things like the new Star Wars. There's so much backlash about Ray, and Oof. even like it's just a whole world. Wonder Woman gets a lot of shit because of it's. Oh, there's no way a female could do that. It's like screw you. You have no balls. Like get over yourself. <laughs> so it's like I have to tell all the little movie nerd like guys who are like shitting on a movie like Cruella like nobody cares about your opinion because it's a great film and this movie wasn't made for you and that's okay but like it just doesn't it doesn't matter so I think if it was named something differently and it wasn't in like the Disney like Disney plus like Disney family I I I really don't think that it would matter because I think it has a lot to do with like the people who are rating these movies like, I don't think it has to do with the actual film. I have a counterpoint. Okay. And, and that is, <laughs> I don't mean to, I listen, I just, you know me, I, I like to just pick fights with you. Like uh, this, uh-huh. I, I, I don't mean to, to, to unjustify that particular argument, but, and I'm going to not call, I'm not that she would, and not that anybody would ever listen to this podcast who is like a professional reviewer. But the reviewer for New York Magazine and Vulture, her name's Angelica, uh-huh. said Cruella is an atrocity with neither purpose nor soul, and it shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, Va- Va- Valerie from io9 says it doesn't a, a movie doesn't need pretty costumes to be enjoyable, but it does need good storytelling, which miss, is missing from Cruella. Oh, my gosh. Like, then I, I don't know. I I'm think just saying. I'm, Stupid. I'm just saying when it comes to 
Rotten Tomatoes, which I already like, listen, the fact that I'm using that as a reference sucks because Rotten Tomatoes is a hell site and it really dilutes the purpose of actual reviews and things like that. But like, I'm, I'm interested in that because like, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. Like we don't, the fact that this is starring two women in the main roles, like that's something that should be celebrated. You know, the, the fact that it's unabashedly about fashion and chasing your dreams and things like that, like that should be celebrated, but it's also, it also doesn't mean that every woman immediately should just be like, yes, hundred percent. You know no, what I mean? Totally, totally. And that's definitely not what I meant by that. Sure. What I meant by that is like all the dickheads who like comment on oh, yeah. female leads. Like those are the people I'm talking about. Specifically I those totally disagree. Those incels. <laughs> specifically them. And and truly, those people make up a big portion of people who watch and review films. Sure. But for me, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't agree with those women. I think they're stupid and they shouldn't have their job. <laughs> wow. Wow. Calling for the heads right now. We're going to get a list. We are going to be we yeah. are going to be putting cases on everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they stepped out of line and they're on notice now. I'm, I'm curious what movies they would think are good. I mean, like we're that not going to. Be- I could tell you, but we're not. I don't you can think tell me later if you want. I don't but think I'm we need to curious, relitigate. Like, what are the movies that they're like? This was a great film because if it's freaking like Boyhood or something, I'll kill myself. Didn't didn't like Wonder Woman. Didn't like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Didn't like Mortal Kombat. Tough, real tough. Uh, liked those who wish me dead. Hey, some taste there. Uh, I don't know. It's tough, right? Because because you're talking about professional reviewers and the whole idea is that like they're sharing their opinion. They're like those are the whole idea of reviews is sharing your opinion. But like you're also it's a balance of like your opinion is an educated opinion, but also sometimes that can be a burden because now you are overeducated to the point of where you are finding faults in things that maybe you are manufacturing. Um, yeah, I, mean, I liked it. Like, I don't know. I, I really and maybe it. that's just it. Maybe those people are writing it because they, like you said, they're using the Disney, like, oh, Disney, like r- cranking out another film or something like that. You know, maybe. But we're Disney. I don't know. I, I don't shills, think it would matter. You know, we, you and I, I don't love think it Disney. Would matter. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I might not be the right person to ask if I think that would make a difference because I'm just like, no, like this movie's made for me because that's like, that's the kind of stuff I like to watch. That's the kind of stuff I like to support. Those Did are you... the actors and actresses I'm obsessed with. Exactly. Did you have a favorite like outfit that was in the movie? Oh my gosh. I don't freaking know. It was all so fun. It was all seriously so fun. And we talked about how I'm sure cosplay Disney world, like Disney universe is going to go mad for all of the cool outfits, but oh yeah, I liked the couture that she was like working on underneath Emma. Um, what is Thompson? Emma Thompson. I'm sorry. Yeah um it's the, been a the, long the one with beads that turned out to be moths yeah like that was so cool so beautiful and then like all of the other dresses too I loved I loved like all of the stuff that they did with the like 
prankster kind of stuff that they did Mm -hmm. when she was like on the dump truck and then like the whole train of her truck is like trash and I'm just like that stuff was probably so fun as a costumer I have to imagine that was just like let's be creative let's like go crazy on these outfits because like she in the movie is a fashion designer who is out there. I also really loved when she was like the little girl and she was like wearing these cute little schoolgirl outfits, but like decking them out however she wanted and making them like really unique. I was just like, that's so cute. I want my kids to dress like that. She did, uh, she pulled a Will Smith and she reversed her boarding school jacket. Yeah, uh, she did. Like he did in uh, Fresh Prince. I think- She totally did. I think my favorite scene in the whole movie is when she debuts the the Dalmatian dress and when it's a literal literal like punk rock concert. Yeah. I love that whole sequence because that whole sequence is like the moths and all of that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And like, you know, how did that happen? And then everybody getting drawn out and it's just a really dynamically shot scene. Yeah. And it establishes the legend that Corella Deville kills puppies for clothing. And so that leads that she wants to that she wants to. Right. But but again, it establishes the legend. When I say the legend, I mean we know the truth. The truth is she didn't. Right? Yeah. But to the press and to Emma Thompson for a little bit, they're just like, oh, she skinned my dogs. Yeah. And that leads me to my last question, which is. What do you think a sequel looks like? Do you think, because we were having this discussion after we saw the movie, do you think they have to actually commit to her being a a wannabe dog killer, like absolutely cruel fashionista? Or do you think that they can do a Wicked, which is where that is what everybody thinks. That is what the press think. That is what, even Anita and Roger think, but in reality, we see a different angle that is not the truth. And she is just perpetrating and, and selling this image of who I am because that type of controversy sells, right? What do you think mm-hmm. could happen, right? What do you think? Do you, Gosh. you know what I mean? Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I would be cool with that happening. I would be cool with an actual play out of build up, building up to like what we know 101 Dalmatians to be is she sees Dalmatians, loves their spots and wants to get enough puppies to make a fur coat. Like it's, (laughs) it'd be interesting to see that, like, how does she get to where she was at the end of Cruella to the beginning of 101 Dalmatians? So like for me personally, I would love for 101 Dalmatians to stay what it is. There's no hidden like story, like Mm -hmm. what's being portrayed is the truth. I would just love to see what happens for her to get to that point. It would be very interesting. And they have talked, they've talked about developing all different types of ideas. Like you would want to do like (laughs) both uh, Emma Stone and Emma Thompson both said they would do a second Cruella film. That's like the Godfather part two, which is like a prequel and a sequel. So we would see Uh like Baroness, but then we would see like Cruella's rise. Cause in, cause in the Godfather, 
it's all about how Michael Corleone, this is going to be a really out of left field reference for you, but like the, the Godfather is all about how Michael Corleone is this good person. And his, his father, the Godfather wants to keep him out of the family business, but he eventually gets sucked in to the point of where now he is the new boss. And so the second movie is half prequel where Robert De Niro is playing a younger version of the father, seeing how he came from Sicily, how he rose the ranks, whilst also being a sequel where we see Al Pacino's character, Michael Corleone, growing in power. And so Mm -hmm. that would be a way of showing like the Baroness and her rise and juxtaposing it with uh, Cruella's rise, theoretically. Yeah. That would then, That'd be so cool. That would then wrap up with a third film, which is 101 Dalmatians, basically. Yeah, which would be so fun. Yeah, because be very interesting. There was a star that we were not introduced to in Cruella that was on screen just as much as Cruella was herself in the other movies, and that is her long-ass cigarette holder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to introduce that guy. There was she actually wrote there's an article somewhere about she commented on why she didn't do it. I don't I didn't read it, so I can't add. Oh, really? I I can't add any valuable information there, but I know she's commented on it and it could be that just like, hey, we don't do smoking anymore. You know, yeah. Can she vape now? You know, (laughs) oh, my God. Does Cruella vape is a question. Can you get I wonder if you can get because they make a pipe you know, an old smoking pipe that is a vape. I wonder if you can get an old, big, long cigarette holder like that and have it God. be a vape. Oh, my God. I wonder if you could if put you a can. normal vape in the holder. That's an this interesting This has really taken a turn. It has taken a turn. So before we wrap <laughs> up, Leah, let's do our popcorn ratings for Cruella. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the moment. So I'm not going to uh, when we did the popcorn ratings for a quiet place, I walked through all of the different ratings that we have. Leah, do you remember the ratings? The burnt popcorn, stale popcorn, yep. microwave pop. I already know what you're going to give it. Uh, yeah. for, for me, I gave a quiet place to perfect popcorn. I'm going to give this perfect popcorn as well. I do not like when they do alternative stories to villains like let them be villains and i thought this yeah. told that line very very creatively and yes. i i just enjoyed it i thought everything clicked i thought everything worked i bought the storytelling i'm not going to say it's like the most like amazing groundbreaking story ever told but like i enjoyed every aspect of it there was not a single aspect of cruella that I did not enjoy. And so for that, I'm going to have to give it perfect popcorn. What would you give it? Perfect popcorn. Shock. Final answer. (laughs) Final answer. No, I totally agree. I loved, yeah, I'll be there for the sequel. I'm going to go see it again in the theater. I just have to figure out when, but I've already decided I want to it was so fun I loved the story I loved the I loved the way that they created Cruella in this film to be okay at times and you're totally rooting for her and you're like yeah girl like do what you need to do but you also see glimpses of her being 
a monster and a total bitch and like she is going she's a villain and then to see actual like mentally unstable words and um actions be done where it's like oh my gosh yes like I think this is the first time that in a Disney film they actually use like words like psychopath and things like that where you're like well obviously villains are like not always born they're created or whatever but this is like born but also created like it's kind of both if that makes sense and right Cruella learns that and learns like her like bloodline is a little kooky and she makes that decision that she's like this is who I am and she knows that that's probably a dangerous person so I don't know. I, I hope this is not the end of Emma Stone as Cruella because I think she did such a fantastic job and I love the way that this character is being developed in just this first film. So I hope that we see more of it. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It'll be interesting. I, Emma Stone is clearly like, I mean, you've, or you've already said, like you're a fan of her. She's clearly one of the best she's working just actors so, that we yeah, have. She's so talented. And I also, you know, She's from Arizona, hey. so I, I love that about her. And she's so young. She's so young, and she doesn't take herself all that seriously. She, you can tell when actors are like take them tell take themselves too seriously, and they don't seem like they're having fun in this career that they want to do. Right. But she like freaking is having the time of her life, and you can see that in the roles that she chooses. I think. Definitely, definitely. Uh, but also, I just like love her. Like it's, I cried when they lost the Oscar for La La Land after it was like announced that they won. I was so sad for them. So I don't know. I think in like an alternate reality, she would be my friend if we went to the same school in Arizona <laughs> growing up. I, she definitely, she has that vibe and it's great to see her in a big, you know, tentpole movie, just being a superstar, yeah. like being the focus. Uh, and in the it. Disney family now. That's right. I was trying to think if she was in the Disney family before, but she was in Spider-Man before it was Disney related. So yeah, she's, she's in there. She's in there. So possibilities. I'm are all for it. Well, <laughs> Leah, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you as always. Of uh, course. Thank you for having me. Always like talking movies with you before we wrap up. I want to remind all the listeners that you can get free episodes of the popcorn diet sent to you just by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening. So take a hat, second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, or share us with your other good movie buddies. Also, don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of, a, of an independent movie podcast when movies desperately, desperately need attention, money, go to the movie theaters, watch your movies, check us out, patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course. And... Yes, I, I just want to add to that. I'm sorry, you're doing your wrap up. But I just want to say, if you're feeling comfortable and safe enough to go out to the stores or anything like that, and you miss the movies, when they open, just ask and call and ask them questions to see what their safety is. Because going to the movies has truly brought me so much joy. And it's something that I've missed so much. And if you feel safe enough to go to the movies and support the theater, then please do so. Please stop streaming from home out of like miss out of just like ease, but go back to the theater because there's something so special and magical about them. So that's all I wanted to add because Absolutely. this whole experience was just so wonderful. And 
I hope that other people can experience going to the movies this way as well. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And so nothing if you, like it. If you have the ability, if you're safe, if you're vaccinated, if you, if you want to do it in a safe way possible by definitely go to the movie theater. Um, don't forget that you can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram at the popcorn diet, Leah, what can, where, where can they follow you? Where can they check you out? What you're doing? They can follow me um, on all social media platforms at Leah Theodosis. Just my first and last name. I made it very easy. And if you guys are listening and you guys prefer me over David, make sure you let the popcorn diet know. Shots fired. <laughs> Let's see if, I want to see if David will listen this far into the episode to see if the <laughs> shots are fired. I imagine he will. So if so, I apologize. I, we'll I apologize. For I guess we'll see. David catching a stray at the end here. Uh, <laughs> last, but but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, for our good movie buddy, Leah Theodosis, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy. And we'll see you next time with another good movie on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.